there's like one thing you need to know about curiosity, which is the search to understand, is that you're really on this quest of helping people to feel seen and to feel heard and to feel like they actually matter. And that is so, so important and powerful. And on the flip side, when we're not curious about someone, when our you know romantic partner walks through that door and we're, we're on our phone and we're not curious about them, their day, their lives, what their joys and wonders and suffering is, they can really feel devalued and they can feel not seen, not heard, not appreciated. And it can really fracture our relationships. And it's not just our romantic partnerships, it's relationships with anyone. There's nothing more powerful than starting a podcast with the... Hello, everybody. Welcome to Financial Feminist. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. Um, 1989 Taylor's version comes out tomorrow, and I go feral over the the style intro, and I have not been listening to anything but that for the past couple hours, and Kristen can attest to that. I'm so sorry. So that's what we're listening to in this house in anticipation for 1989 to drop. And we do hope we get a Harry Styles feature. I don't think we will, but we're crossing every finger and crossing every toe to see if we can. Hello. Welcome to the show. If you are an oldie but a goodie, welcome back. If you are new, hi, my name is Tori. I am a New York Times bestselling author. I'm a money expert. I fight the patriarchy by making you rich. And we produce this show to make sure that you have the resources you need to get better with money, but to also show up better in your life, show up better in your community, and use money as a tool of protest against the bullshit systems that exist. We're so excited to have you. A little bit of housekeeping as always. If you like the show, the best way to support it is subscribing. Literally just clicking one button is the easiest way that you can support us and make sure that we, as a women-led, women-focused show, can continue producing and continue creating this show for you all. So that's one easy way to support us. And if you have questions, comments, concerns, especially about anything personal finance, if you have questions about your debt or about investing or about saving money or about your weird workplace, you can leave us a voicemail. It's like Link down below, and we would love to use that in an upcoming episode and answer your question potentially. We love hearing from you. All right, excited for today's episode. We are talking today about curiosity, and you're like, I'm curious. Why do I need to learn what how to be curious? How do what does curiosity have to do with money or feminism or anything like that? And I will say it is absolutely inextricably linked. And today's guest proves that. Scott Shigioka is an internationally recognized curiosity expert, speaker, and the author of Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World. He is known for translating research into strategies that promote positive well-being and connected relationships around the globe, including at the UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and through his popular courses at the University of Texas at Austin. We get into the importance of embracing curiosity in all of our relationships and interactions and how we can both be more curious while still holding boundaries around vulnerability, how we can approach our relationships with curiosity, especially when we're talking about money or other subjects that can feel overwhelming. And I think very important in this very fraught political climate, how we can use curiosity to have conversations with people who have varying beliefs and maybe different beliefs than us, especially the people we care about most, like our family and friends. We're really excited for today's episode. It was incredibly impactful. Scott is incredibly good at what they do, and uh, I just can't wait for you to listen. So without further ado, let's get into it. But first, a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
So I, I just moved up from Joshua Tree. I was living in Joshua Tree, California for a couple of years. That's where I wrote the book. And then I fell in love. And then uh, my boo, he is a nurse out in Oakland. So it's a little bit harder for him to relocate. And so after having yep. some conversations, which included some money talk conversations. We love that. I decided to make the voyage up to Oakland. Yeah. And it was really, really beautiful. It's been, you know, such a... I'm just, I'm in love. It's, we're having a good time up here. That's amazing. It's, yeah, it, it feels, we're, we're very communicative, really loving our new home. You know, I've got a lot of community out here in the Bay. So yeah, I feel very, very good and supported. Yeah. One of my good friends lived in Oakland for many, many years. And then actually, yeah, COVID was like, Ooh. okay, we're going to, we're going to move somewhere else. And so, yeah, has been talking about going back though. So it's interesting. Oh, where did they go? And where are you at again? I'm in Seattle. They yeah. went to like wine country. Yep. in California. Like they moved out okay. there and okay. yeah, it made sense for her. But yeah, I'm up in Seattle. I'm in LA and New York quite a bit for work, but I'm born and raised Pacific Northwest yep. and don't plan on leaving anytime soon. So. Yes. I went to Wazoo. So let's go. Did Washington you really? State. That's where Here my partner go. went. That's amazing. I did. I'm a coog. Yeah. I'm a coog. Yep. <laughs> oh Yeah. I was not a Wazoo uh, fan until I met him. I was like, I'm very much more <laughs> yeah. tied to the Huskies. Yeah. I have more friends who've gone to Huskies. Yeah, that's where yeah, I yeah, live, totally. you like know? Seattle. And so, yeah. <laughs> As someone that's all about bridging the divide and differences, I, you know, I can see the humanity of, you know, both people who root for Huskies and the Kooks. So let's go. <laughs> totally. Well, speaking of that, we're so excited to have you on the mm, show and so thanks. excited to talk with you about your work. Can you give us a background on what made you, uh, forgive me, curious about <laughs> the concept of curiosity? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, for me in particular, it's always been like a superpower that I love. Like I remember my dad and I, you know, we like built this tree house in our backyard. Uh, he was a roofer and, you know, we just like went to Home Depot and like, actually we also went to the Safeway because they have these pallets in the back of their store. They're like, yeah, you can just take them. And we built this amazing tree house. And that just became like my sanctuary, my creative space where I could just get curious about myself and the world. And I came up with stories and I brought my stuffed animals up there and orchestrated theater pieces and would later become like a playwright and would later, you know, you know, create stories of my own and become a writer. And, you know, but it was also the space. He almost had like this anticipatory understanding of what I would need because shortly after that, he was in and out of, of jail. And then he eventually went to prison for a number of years. And that was like also the place where I process a lot of stuff, like my difference. What does this mean? Like, you know, my relationship with my dad, why is he going to jail? Like, I don't understand that. Like what is my sexuality? Like I'm starting to like boys, like that's different from my friends. Like what's, what's going on there. So yeah, it, it also curiosity was this place of just deeply understanding myself and my family and, you know, the people around me. And I just like have used it as this tool just in every aspect of my life, personally and professionally. Like it's helped me to, you know, get you know, I got curious about writing. I was like, what are all the writing things, opportunities out in the world when I was working at a Ruby Tuesday in DC post-college? And, you know, I just signed up for this class that like resonated with me. And that teacher and I built a really amazing relationship. Her name's Holly. And she was like, you know what? You are an amazing writer. You have a wild personality. You wear like fluorescent pink jumpsuits. Like, I love your vibe. I actually am an editor at the Washington Post. Like, I want to give you a job. Like, I want you to write about music. So, you know, I'm like, what? You know, so I like quit my job at Ruby Tuesday. So it's always been this like door opener for me, you know? And then as I got into the research and, you know, in the past five years working at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, I started to realize it's not just a gateway for opportunities. It's a gateway for connection. You know, when we use curiosity, we can connect to others in a really deep way. And that's like what I love the most about it. But that's my like curiosity origin story 101. I love that. I think in the book you mentioned, and I think we're all feeling this way, that as much as we can intend to be curious people and live in a curious society, we're kind of in this era of incuriosity. Yeah. Can you talk about the flip side of if curious is something that I think we all wish we were, but we're living in this area of incuriosity, what are its consequences both interpersonally and globally? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the whole takeaway of curiosity, if there's like one thing you need to know about curiosity, which is the search to understand, the search to understand someone else, yourself, is that you're really on this quest of helping people to feel seen and to feel heard and to feel like they actually matter. And that is so, so important and powerful. And on the flip side, 
when we're not curious about someone, when our you know romantic partner walks through that door and we're we're on our phone and we're not curious about them, their day, their lives, what their joys and wonders and suffering is, you know, they can really feel devalued and they can feel not seen, not heard, not appreciated. And it can really fracture our relationships. And it's not just our romantic partnerships, it's relationships with anyone, you know, the people you work with, the people in your communities, you know, your family, your friends. So curiosity to me is all about how do we really, you know, enter the space where people are really valued, really seen, really heard in a deep way, not just at the surface level. Like we really get to their stories, to who they are beyond just what we think we are, what our assumptions are telling us about someone and really, really understand them at a deep level. And that's such a connective force. So that's truly what curiosity is about. It's like, how do we connect, especially like you said, in this moment of in curiosity, we're divided more than ever. Our Surgeon General in the US, Vivek Murthy, he says, you know, we're in this crisis of disconnection, you know, and you can't like throw, you know, you, you look in any direction on the news, social media, family reunions, when you go home, it's just across politics and faith, uh, the next geopolitical crisis that happens. And we're just constantly dehumanizing each other or groups of people who we don't even know. And we know from the research that when you dehumanize people, when you turn away from them within curiosity and you dehumanize a group of people, it's much easier to inflict hate on them. It's much easier to be numb to suffering and violence that is being inflicted upon them. So really the stance is one of really, in order for us to be in solidarity with people, in order for us to really care for people, we gotta turn towards them and be curious about them. It's so powerful what you just said. One of the things that I was thinking about and that our team was thinking about when we were researching this episode and, and preparing to talk with you, I think that there's just this really interesting feeling that I have realized in the last couple of years that I feel and that a lot of my friends feel, which is that when someone has a difference in opinion to us, it can feel like an attack on our personal identity or an attack on the identity of a person that I love or a person that I support. Yeah. And I think that that feels so different than maybe even, let's say, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, where it was just like, oh, well, you know, that person has a different political belief than mine, but like they're still a good person. I think often, right, if <laughs> I'm going to be honest, right, if somebody tells me they support Donald Trump immediately, I'm like, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you will support me and protect the people that I love and that I support. And there's that immediate wall that goes up. And I think vice versa, right? Yeah. If somebody who is, anti-abortion, yeah. here's that I'm pro, yeah. uh, there's probably a wall that goes up for them too. So I don't know, talk to me about that because I, I, it's not this feeling of, oh, they have a different opinion than mine and that's fine. And I even talk to my parents and my yeah. parents are often, they'll often say to me when we get in a disagreement, they'll go, well, we have different opinions and that's okay. And I often want to shake them and be like, if your opinion violates the rights of somebody, that's not yeah. an opinion, that's bullshit. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know, talk to me about that experience of feeling like my identity or the identity of people I love is almost insulted. Yeah. And here's the thing, right, is that curiosity does have limits and boundaries, right? You know, and there's certain things that we just like fundamentally need to agree on. And sometimes it's, you know, those things are like justice and like not dehumanizing people and not, you know, recklessly targeting or killing groups of people, right? And a lot of that does come from incuriosity. It's people hold themselves up into their own communities, their own beliefs, and they're unwilling to see other perspectives and other opinions. The other thing I'll say is that power and curiosity are really related. So researchers like Emile Bruno have done studies and have found that the direction of curiosity matters. So if you have more social power in the situation, you should actually be more curious. You should be listening more and trying to understand what's happening. And if you have less social power, it's much more important for you to share and to tell your stories and to share your narratives and your thoughts. Because in the cultures we live in, you're often underrepresented and your thoughts and your voices and your stories aren't reflected in culture as much as those who have more power than you. So, and what happens when you're really sophisticated in the direction of curiosity, 
what happens is both groups walk away feeling closer to one another and they feel like they got something out of it. But oftentimes the way we design these kinds of spaces is that it's like, okay, you get 50% of the time, I get 50% of the time, we're both going to leave. And then it's like, you know, I see this in, in race dialogue groups all the time. And, you know, white students, you walk away feeling like I learned something and I'm going to continue on this journey. But then students of color can sometimes feel like, oh my gosh, like I still like feel, I feel drained. And I feel like there's so many more like questions I have, or like, I don't feel truly hurt. Same is true when like men and women come together and the context is around gender, the patriarchy, right? Like you can't design spaces in that way because, you know, we have to like recognize that like people are suffering and people with less social power have the microphone less and it's more important for them to be heard. And you as someone with more social power where your stories are often shared in culture actually need to do more of the curiosity and listening. And we see that in Canada, right? Indigenous people who have been impacted by the residential school system, which is recent history, last residential school system closed in the 90s. I mean, like most of us listening, a lot of us listening were around when these residential schools were still open in Canada and indigenous students and their families were completely terrorized by these schools and, you know, killed, hurt, psychologically harmed, sexually assaulted. I mean, just like the worst things that you could imagine happened at these quote unquote schools. And what Ryan Moran and other indigenous leaders did with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is these stories of survivors need to be heard. And you as a non-indigenous Canadian needs to sit, be curious, and listen in with intent. And it might be really really effing uncomfortable, but it is so important for you to to really understand what people have gone through in this country. And that was done in a trauma-informed way, you know, so that you can ensure that people aren't feeling re-traumatized from sharing their stories or they're not vicariously traumatizing others. But also it is so important for non-Indigenous Canadians to empathize, connect, and and recognize how a group of people have been devalued in this country and, and you know, in Canada and in particular for indigenous people. So that's my sort of belief around curiosity. It's not this kumbaya, let's hold hands, civility. And it's also not consensus. Like we're not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna change my beliefs for you, you know, like for us, for me to be curious, you know, I, I, you know, I wouldn't expect, you know, a Christian to change their beliefs when they're getting curious about someone who's Muslim or Buddhist or vice versa, right? You know, we can still believe the things we do so strongly, but also not lose sight of the humanity of the person who we're getting curious about and hope that over the, the relationship, you know, that opinions and perspectives will shift as they really open up to the stories of real people and, and how they're being impacted in, in consequential ways. I am a massive Brene Brown fan and have researched and learned so much about her work and vulnerability. And the more I hear you talk, the more I realize like curiosity takes this intense vulnerability and this intense bravery, both to admit what you don't know, to potentially be, um, you know, especially like I can speak as a white person, right? There's been a lot of come to Jesus moments that white people have had in the past couple of years, especially. And it's like, that's often really scary. And then it's on the flip side, it's very scary to, uh, and it takes a lot of bravery and courage and vulnerability to admit when you do feel hurt or traumatized or, you know, something's happened. And so is that why curiosity feels so scary? Because this bravery and this vulnerability has to be learned and has to be a conscious choice? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, you know, it really depends on the circumstance too, right? So getting curious about your best friend's emotions to, and, and, you know, experience to their concert resettle that they just had, you know, like that curiosity maybe feels like lower stakes than right, something right. like with your parents. Those are more low yeah, stakes, yeah, curious yeah, where there's, situations. Yeah, exactly. Right, where there's right, not right. like a ton of conflict <laughs> and tension. And, you know, you don't, if you're new to the game of curiosity, you know, like you haven't practiced it a lot in your life or don't feel as like connected to it. You don't have to start by like jumping right into that conversation with your parents or go into that Trump rally like I did, right? Like in the same way that, you know, if you're new to running, you wouldn't just like run a marathon on your first day or you wouldn't, if you're new to weightlifting, you wouldn't like try to bench 400 pounds or whatever, you know, the exercises. Curiosity is a muscle and you have to develop it over time. And so you have to practice it by looking inward towards yourself. That's a great place to start. You know, if you got all the people listening who also have, you know, a Western talk therapist like I do, like, you know, that's the whole journey of of our relationship 
relationship, our therapeutic relationship. You know, he's helping me to get curious about myself and to be like, oh, how did that make me feel? And how did I respond or react in that particular case to that event that happened during moving with my partner? You know, so curiosity can start from an inward perspective before you even move outward to other people. And then when you are ready to go out to other people, you can start with the people closest to you, you know, your your romantic partners, your friends, people who you feel really psychologically safe with. Maybe there's a lot of alignment on the deep core beliefs that you have, but there's a couple of things where there's differences. You know, since we're on financial feminists, maybe like the ways we think about money or like the ways that we spend money, right? And so you know that you have these core values you share, but there's differences in this other space. And that's where you can start to practice curiosity that then, you know, beefs up that muscle so that you can take it into, you know, other environments that are, you know, a lot scarier. Because for sure, it is scary. It is scary to come in with curiosity, especially in those really intense circumstances, for sure. Well, and I wanted to round out kind of the, I don't know, intense, you know, curiosity moments you did mention, and we had planned to ask you about going to a Trump rally. What was that like? What were your friends' reaction to that? Tell me why you opted to do that and how that felt and what that experience taught you. Yeah, totally. And first of all, if you can't see me, I'm like, I'm, I'm Asian American. I'm progressive. I, I'm queer. I, I usually dress very flamboyantly. Like right now I have a colorful like blouse top, but like I usually am in like pink jumpers. You know, I love like dressing up and expressing myself through fashion. And so, you know, it was important for me when I went on this trip, you know, for 12 months around the country going to Trump rallies and churches and meeting people in very different sort of regions and places in the country that I didn't give up any part of who I am, that I didn't hide parts of who I am, that I just genuinely shared everything that was truthful about me. Because as someone who's queer, like, and even as someone who's Asian American, like, I'm tired of hiding. I want to be known for who I am. And that is beautiful. I know my worth. And I'm just going to come and start from that perspective. So that's what I did when I went to the rally in Minnesota. In this case, I saw, you know, the sea of red shirts and, you know, hats and the big jumbotrons. And I was, I was scared. I was scared, especially when your friends see you and then they see the route you're going on. And they're like, maybe you should bring a knife or pepper spray. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you can trust like what's about to throw down. And they're coming from a place of, you know, feeling their own pain and seeing the suffering that they've seen unfold in the country, right? And they're coming from a place of, of fear, but also protection. They want to, they want me to be safe. But I went there. I didn't arm myself because I, I just didn't think that that was going to be the smart decision for me personally. And I just like went up to people and I started talking to folks in line and I just told them, Hey, you know, I hear a lot of stories about who you are from like the news and like social media, but I'm deeply curious. I want to just understand you. I want to understand where you're coming from and why you're voting in this way and, you know, what your life is like. Cause I, I don't have a picture of that. I, I don't, you know, and surprisingly, people weren't on the offense, you know, like people were down to share information. Maybe they had, you know, I picked up a little bit of like, but why are you actually here? Like, that's interesting that you're here. But the way in which I approached it with curiosity versus saying, you know, my ideas and my beliefs are better than yours. I don't understand why you're voting for this person. Like, what is wrong with it? You know, like that's just not going to turn into a potentially connective experience for both of us. And What was interesting was that the more that I listened to them and genuinely came from a place of understanding, the more that they started to ask me questions. And they're like, well, why are you here? And, you know, where are you from? And, you know, and then I started talking about my own identities, my own experiences, what it's like to grow up in Hawaii, et cetera. And that was like a a beautiful sort of exchange of understanding that I feel like we don't often get to in the current political arena because we're constantly canceling and shutting each other down. Um, So... You know, we, we were waiting in line. I'm having all these interesting conversations and I'm re- realizing that my stereotypes of who a Trump voter is, because at the time it was, oh, they must be, you know, illiterate or uneducated or like they don't care about the things that I care about. And as I started to talk to them, I realized, oh my gosh, like some of them have advanced degrees and some of them are humanitarians and working nonprofits. And, you know, one of them actually like that I talked to really cared about climate change. And I was like, what? I thought like, you know, like y'all weren't down with that or were in denial of that. And, you know, I started to see the individuality of each person. I talked to probably around like 
15-ish people there in line because you wait for hours before you get into the arena. It's like a sporting event or like Black Friday shopping or something like that. And we just, we went deep and I heard stories of how they felt othered, you know, by their their girlfriend's friends who thought they were dumb or stupid and they would hear these comments behind their back. And I was just like remembering the moments when I felt othered and just how it made me feel, you know, made me feel angry and alone and actually hardened my beliefs and made me not want to connect with those people who had those views on me. And yeah, I, I think I just felt a lot of pain and anger and sadness and fear for where the country was headed. And, you know, those are things that, you know, I would say I feel, I feel too. And many people who I'm more ideologically aligned to also feel. But also I like went into the arena. It was like the NBA finals. Like there's all these signs. There's all this chanting and cheering. All these speakers come up. Trump finally gets up. He's just saying the same shit that I've heard over and over again. And I was just like, ex- I could not, that I couldn't take because I, I had to separate this person onto this leader who is galvanizing this sort of movement and the individuals who are voting for him. Like those are like two separate sort of entities that I had to sort of remember, you know, because I always just loop them all into one sort of monolithic group. But I had to be like, no, like, these are also individuals too that have families and and deep cares and values just like I do, who I'm sitting next to. So I ended up leaving the Trump rally early. This like group of Trump voters, like we're leaving too. And I was like, wait, but the person you came to see is like talking right now. Like, why are you leaving early? And they're like, we're trying to get ahead of traffic. And I was like, okay, like, great. So we walked out together. There was a sea of counter protesters. And, you know, they were just like holding signs and singing songs, like things that I've done before being on the front lines of different movements. And one of the guys from the counter protester group shouted at us and said, fuck you racist, get out of our town or get out of our city. And, and I was just like, I was just so like depleted from energy. I like couldn't even say anything. The person next to me, the Trump voter was like, I'm not a racist. And in my head, I was just like, bro, like I, my, my views are way more similar to yours likely than the people I'm walking out with. Also, you don't know anything about me. And you're like shouting this thing at me that sort of made me remember all of those, you know, those things that I've been told of like Ching Chong and get out of our country and where are you actually from? And it was just like, wow, like I feel so othered by people I feel so connected to. And so it just, it, you know, I think what I saw was this rupture that's happening in our country where we're really not seeing people for who they are. We're dehumanizing people and we're lobbying such harsh words or actions on one another that's really harmful. And I want to see us move in a different direction as a country where that's healthier and where our well-being is positive, not negative, and our relationships aren't severed, but they're connected, you know? So it was an intense experience, but learned a lot, definitely. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Talk to me about the framework that you developed, the dive framework. Yeah. So just like, you know, exercising a muscle, you know, and you need the set of exercises, like when you go to the gym, I wanted to make sure that folks who were interested in curiosity right. have the same access to, to that understanding. So I created this motto, it's called DIVE, and it's an acronym. So D-I-V-E, that stand for the four core muscles of deep curiosity. So D is to detach, which is to let go of your ABCs, your assumptions, biases, and certainty. So detaching is all about, we have assumptions that we hold about other people and who they are because we know their politics, their faith, their gender, whatever, you know, and we have to interrupt that. You know, one of the practices is called back that ass up and ass is short for assumption. It's like, we got to back that ass up. We got many assumptions 
And we got to back that ass up and we got to, we got to see and pressure test and validate and interrupt those assumptions that often are over-exaggerated, untrue, or just more nuanced than we think they are, right? So that's what D is all about. And it's also about like letting go of certainty. Like there's so much that's in our culture that's like, you got to have all the answers and you need to like, you need to shout those answers to be heard and seen. And that's what's make, that makes you a valued contributor in society. When the truth is sometimes like the questions are way more interesting and way more powerful for us in our relationships and in the work we do. And we need to really prioritize this, this idea that, you know, we got to be humble. You know, we, we don't have the, all the answers. When our partner asks us something about our emotions around a certain purchase that we have, if we're, if we haven't reflected on it and we don't know the answer, you know, it's okay for us to say, I don't know, but you know, I need to reflect on that. I need to, you know, really think that through, you know, and that encourages reflection and thoughtfulness, right? Like you have the exercise of having people reflect on their first money memory, right? Having the ability to have reflection and thoughtfulness and space before you respond because you've detached is, is so is so key. And, you know, instead of just blurting out the first thing that comes to your mind, that might be harmful for that conversation or that relationship. I is intend, which is to create the mindset and setting for curiosity. So where you talk about things matter, the physical setting, if you want to come super curious and, you know, you're having a money talk conversation or you're talking about the relationship you're in and, and some challenges you're going through, maybe like doing it on the subway when there's like a ton of people around you and like you're trying to, you know, switch trains, like maybe not the best time to bring it up, like from a physical setting perspective, like maybe there's a better space where you feel like you can both be psychologically safe and vulnerable and express all your emotions without, you know, the pressures of people around you, right? So setting is important, but also the mindset. Actually visualize, like, what kinds of questions are you going to ask? You have all the information you need for that conversation that you can bring into it. You know, so, so many people I talk to have really big conversations, like about money, for instance, and, you know, they just come into the conversation, they launch into it without kind of doing the thoughtful preparation of really reflecting on their own views, you know, thinking about what they want to share in that conversation. So mindset is so, so important. V is value, which is to see the dignity of the person you're being curious with. And so, you know, like I said, when you dehumanize someone, it is much harder to be curious about them. It is also so much easier to hate them and to, you know, want to inflict harm on them because, you know, they're not human. They're less than. And so the same is true even in our day to day relationships. Like we might not realize it, but there's these little things that we're doing that might be dehumanizing, you know, our partner, for instance. You know, let's say our kid, our kid has like a baseball game and they're like, Oh my gosh, like I didn't do a good job at that baseball game. You know, dad, like, I feel really bad about it. Our inclination might be to say, no, you did super great. Like, look at all those other people on the field. You did just as good as them. And you, your team won. And, you know, they're everything, everything. You're great, son. Like, you're really good at like this, this sport. But what you're doing is you're invalidating their experience and their perspective, right? You're saying that the way you see the world, child, is not accurate. And in fact, I'm going to tell you the complete opposite and invalidate the emotions that you're feeling because I'm trying to fix you. I'm trying to feel less comfortable about your sadness or your feelings of failure. And that person, that child doesn't feel seen or heard. They feel dehumanized. They're like, well, then almost like ghastly, right? It's like, wow, like, I guess I'm wrong about this perspective and opinion. So we don't mean to do that to our child, to our partners, to like the people we work alongside. But sometimes we do do that, you know, like, I, I feel like I messed up on that project. No, you did great. Don't worry. Like, you're killing it out there. When you could be saying, you know, like, tell me more. Like, I want to understand your humanity. I want to understand the real emotions you're having about this situation. And that is a bridge for connection, right? It doesn't just cut off the conversation or tell them that what they're experiencing is invalid. And then the last piece is E, embrace, which is to welcome the hard times in our lives, because that's when we need to be curious the most, actually, is when, you know, we're going through grief or loss or heartbreak, you know, or we, you know, had a financial woe or we've experienced a layoff. Like, these are the moments when we really need to get curious, you know, understand what is it that we really want and need, you know, who are the people that are around us that are going to support us in this moment? What are the things that I can ask for from them, if at all? That's what's really going to help us to move through these really hard moments. And sometimes they're not negative. 
they're, they're like positive things, you know, but still challenging, like welcoming a new child into the family or getting married, you know, like those are things that still require your curiosity. How do I want to show up in this marriage? How do I want to value my partner? What are my boundaries in this marriage? You know, like the curiosity is so, so important in these hard moments. And we know from the research that it actually reduces anxiety and fear in these really, really scary moments. Even something as scary as death, right? End-of-life doulas and palliative care staff, they use curiosity to help people move through and reduce their end-of-life anxiety by asking questions like, what is the life you've lived? And, you know, what's the legacy you're giving to the next generation? And what, what relationships are important to you? And how would you like to die with dignity? And it feels so counterintuitive, but when you're curious about the things you fear and are anxious about, you actually reduce it. That's why, you know, exposure therapy works for phobias. You, you get curious, you know, you're, you're afraid of spiders. Well, like, look at the photo of a spider and then see it in the glass box. And oh my God, if you're going to be one of those people, like hold the spider. Like, you know, I don't know if I'm there yet on my phobia journey, but getting closer and closer into contact with what you fear the groups of people you fear, that spider you fear, that conversation about money you don't want to talk about because you're afraid of how it's going to go. Well, actually, getting more curious about it is going to reduce those feelings of fear and, and anxiety. And that's what Embrace is all about. So dive, detach, intend, value, embrace. And if there's any communication coaches out there, I'm trying to figure out how to like shorten that explanation, but you know, cause it's, there's a lot there, but um, yeah, I've done a lot of thinking around. No, it. <laughs> it's fantastic. I was just going to compliment you on it. It's very detailed and it's very helpful. Also with spiders, um, everything changed for me when I read a tweet that said spiders are just little grandmas trying to knit. <laughs> Ooh, oh my God. That's so real though. Cause they, oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. They're just little grandmas trying <laughs> to knit. They're just little grandmas and, trying like, to knit. I literally, I have one right outside that's been hanging out. Uh, and I'm just like, okay, yo, go I ahead. Love that. You knit, girl. Like, you keep knitting. You're doing great. I love that. And what stories in dominant culture told us that we should fear spiders and snakes, you know? Right? Like, they're, like we got to be keyed in and curious to that. Cause... Oh, snakes are a different thing. All snakes need to die. <laughs> <but> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> We're all on our own journey, sorry. <laughs> if somebody has the grandma's knitting version of snakes, I would love to hear it. But yeah, I've been very vocal on this show about my fear of eels and snakes. And um, I don't like either. So, um, yeah, give me the, the grandma trying to knit version of both of those things. I like them more. <laughs> More to come. An update on the next episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you on that. Yeah, yeah. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this, but dopamine is created when we're in a state of curiosity. So by that, curiosity is not only good for us at a societal level, but also from a health perspective. So basically, so when we're curious, we release dopamine in our brains and, and the reward, uh, the motivation reward system in our brain. And it, essentially what that means is, you know, it's, it's also called the happy hormone. It's the neurotransmitter that we release when we have sex, which I love personally, or like when we eat a tasty, delicious meal, right? We release dopamine. It, it gives us pleasure. It gives us this feeling of that, that feels it's so good. It gives us that tingliness, right? And the reason it does that is because it wants to incentivize that behavior. Yes. Like eat this delicious food, get the nutrients, like have the energy. Yes have, you know, evolutionary at least, like have the sex, like, because we know that that helps you to, you know, keep the species going, but also like there's all these other psychological and physical benefits to doing it, if that's what you're down with, you know? So there's so, you know, cause I'm shout out to all my sexuals out there. Like, you know, there's all ways of like thinking about any of these topics, but dopamine being released when you're being curious is actually really cool because when folks, I just did this interview from a dating columnist who was like, we were talking about it and I was like, the one advice I give to people when they're going on dates is be interested, not interesting, right? And to ask questions. And if you're 40 minutes into the first date and you haven't asked a single question, you've been talking about me, 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 because you're trying to glow up yourself, which, yo, I'm all for like, if you, if you don't love yourself, how you can love anyone else? Like RuPaul, like, yes, like love yourself and, and scream that to the world, but also like be interested in the person you're on a date with. Cause that's going to create that connection and make them glow up and make them feel like they matter and are seen and heard. Right. And so be interested, not interesting and know that by you doing that. It's going to feel so pleasurable. It's going to feel like you're eating a delicious bite of food. It's going to feel like you're having sex. Like, and that same is true with curiosity and you feel it. You know, when you 
are like, wait, Taylor Swift and Beyonce made how much on their last tour? And then you start like going into the rabbit hole of like figuring that out. It's like exciting and you're learning things. Or when you're in a conversation with someone and you're asking questions, they're asking questions back to you and you just, man, you're just like, oh my God, I see you. Same, same, same. You know, that feels good. It feels really, really pleasurable. And, you know, sometimes it's because we have this like fear, like, oh my gosh, curiosity can feel really daunting at times. Just like it's like daunting to go to the gym. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I really like want to get there when you actually get there and you're there in the gym or you're there out running or you know you're there getting curious it feels so good and you're like i'm so thankful that that's the way that i showed up because it's it's really really good for you not just from the dopamine perspective but for your relationships we also know from the research curious people are happier people we know from the research that curious people have higher levels of life satisfaction more fulfilling relationships makes sense you know you you look at the married you know, happy married couple that's been together for many, many years, decades, they're consistently curious towards one another and the people around them, right? You look at older adults who are just thriving in life, you know, they stay curious and they're constantly engaged with the world. And in fact, you know, we know that the minute you stop getting curious is when you chop off years of your lifetime. There's actually evidence to show that you being less curious increases your mortality. So it's, you know, curiosity is literally a lifeline, but it's also one of our best companions that can join us along the journey of life. And that's what I love about it. I know there's people who are older in my life who are curious, and frankly, they're just more fun to be around. They Mm -hmm. look and feel a lot younger. They're just happier. And I have older people Mm -hmm. in my life who are not very curious, and they're not as fun to be around. They're not as Mm -hmm, kind mm -hmm. and generous and their energy is just different. And so, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with that. Right. When you're curious, you're like, I know everything. All my beliefs are right. You'll understand when you're older because I've like learned everything that I needed to know. Wow. That is like arrogance. And like, that's not, you know, that doesn't feel communal. It's not friendly. It's not generous, you know, like all these things you're saying. And, you know, folks who have that wonder, like, you know, why don't I have those deep relationships with my kids? Or like, why aren't my these friends coming around and like, you know, hanging out with me all the time? Well, it's like practice a little bit more curiosity and bring that into your life and see how that transforms the ways that people feel around you. I mean, it's so incredible. People will start to feel valued and appreciated and they'll want to see you more and they'll want to be around you more. Yeah. The research shows in the workplace when you're, you have more curiosity and more intellectual humility as a leader, you're actually seen as more friendly, communal, likable, and more competent. And that one's important because a lot of people fear that when they say things like, oh, I don't know something or, you know, I'm not sure about that or, oh, I have questions about it. They think that it makes them look weak or incompetent. But the truth is it's actually not the case. Like people actually have more confidence in you because they recognize that you don't have this arrogance and that we're going to do it because we've always done it this way. You know, that's really, really helpful. Uh, Talk to me about curiosity as an intellectual pursuit versus curiosity as a heart-based pursuit. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people think about curiosity as I'm going to fill up the knowledge in my head, like I was saying with like the Taylor Swift Beyonce rabbit holes we get into, um, which are great and also helpful for trivia. Like we need that, you know, in our lives and bring it down from the head to the heart, you know, and see curiosity as more than just extracting information and see it as a force for connection. Like that's what everything we're talking about is. It's, it's to, to see us getting curious as a way to connect with one another. You know, like I, I wanted to talk a lot about money stuff because I, I know that's an interest of y'all's audience. And, you know, that's why I listened to the show too. And, you know, and I, I thought about this in the context of relationships, you know, when we want to talk about money, but we have shame around it, or, you know, we feel like we aren't leveled up in the same way as our partners, or we're fearful of where that's going to head, right? Like we can reframe that to us getting curious about our partners and and us talking about money and understanding the emotions that our partners have about money and what they value and their relationship to money and their money trauma. And it is so 
so helpful and it's a gateway to us understanding them and connecting with them. So, you know, see those conversations as a way to get to know your partner even more and to see more of them and for, for you to help them feel like appreciated and like they matter. And same for them towards you, right? When they start asking you questions about your relationship with money, oh my gosh, like you start to feel more seen and appreciated, even if sometimes that doesn't line up, right? The quest is about understanding and, and using that as a force for connection. And I think it's also a tool for us to look inward too in relationships, right? Like, you know, you had a great episode I listened to recently on on the, the red flags, financial red flags that we can see in partners. Well, if you're never curious and checking in on like what your own boundaries are, the relationship you're in, and you're not actually reflecting on it and being constantly curious, you might, you know, realize two years later and come awake and be like, oh my gosh, like that whole time, you know, those are all red flags, but you weren't attuned to it. You weren't aware to it. You, you weren't curious about what was happening. Right. So, so it's even for your self protection and preservation and connecting to yourself. It is such an important tool. So important. Well, and I love that you brought up financial because of course I was obviously going to ask you about that. Like <laughs> you it's mentioned something that really stuck out when we were talking about you coming on. You yeah. said after our basic needs are met, conversations about money are really conversations about feelings and values. And I could not agree more. I talk about this a lot on the show and my work in the book. We think money is about math. It's not. It's mm -hmm. not about mm -hmm. math. It's not about, you know, numbers in a spreadsheet. It's not really about compound interest, even though I talk about that all the time. Like it's about <laughs> your emotions. It's about how you feel. Yeah. It's about your trauma. It's about your narratives that you've been believing about money. And yeah, it's about like how vulnerable and curious are you willing to be in order to better your relationship with money, to better your relationship with your partner as you manage money. So how can we bring curiosity into these financial conversations? And you've answered this a bit, but I'm thinking about, yeah, like sitting down Talking about money is like the number one thing we avoid. We'll talk about any other uncomfortable topic. I've said this before, of course, but sex, death, politics, religion, we are statistically more likely to talk about those things before we'll talk about money. So how can we get brave and curious and vulnerable enough to actually start having conversations and actually start looking at our bills and our bank account statements? Totally. Yeah, I think is it's when you come to the table together and you first start by norming that conversation and saying, you know, let's remember that this is about understanding one another and our values and our stories and our emotions about money. Like, let's start from that place. You know, when we're sharing, let's really listen in and understand, you know, the other person and, and that be our goal, not for us to share our own perspective or opinions or how we differ or how my beliefs, you know, clash with yours, but I'm just here to listen and, and understand you. And, and I think that's helpful to start with and having scripts, you know, that you can take into that conversation. Like, tell me more is like a really, really good one. It's like, wow, okay. So you would, you know, spend $600 on a lamp and you're like, my, you know, your first reaction, if you didn't have that script is like, that is way too much money for a lamp, right? If you, but that then makes them feel like they don't matter, that they're unheard. And, you know, you're, you're missing out on so much interesting context that lives beneath that. So instead you could say, oh, a $600 purchase for a lamp? Like, tell me more. Like, why is that important to you? Like, what is it about that lamp, you know, that you would be willing to spend that? Oh, well, like, you know, my dad had that, you know, growing up and like, you know, he's obviously, you know, like no longer with us. And like, I have a, you know, I want that to be in the house because it's going to be my way of remembering him. Whoa, that's a very different, you know, sort of context around that lamp that you didn't have moving into that right conversation. Or it could just be like, I mean, it's pretty and I like pretty things, you know, like so. And that is also valid. Right. And then but you still now know what's underneath, you know, the desire to purchase a $600 lamp that you wouldn't have if you immediately reacted with your own bias and your own perspective. So I, that's a script I like to give people is like, tell me more. I think the the other thing that that's really, really helpful as well is who else, you know, it's that you know, you both are in a relationship, but you don't have to just solve every problem on your own. You can go out and almost do your own exploratory voyages to understand how people talk about money. And by you going out and having those kinds of conversations, not only is it like, whoa, wait, you experienced that too, same, same, makes you feel so emotionally connected to your friends or your families or whoever you're talking to about it, but it also gives you tools and techniques and new scripts that you 
you can bring into the conversation. That's really interesting. Like for instance, I just did this and, you know, I heard from a friend that one partner who earns a little bit less, you know, pays for all of the sort of living expenses, like the rent and the food. And then the person who makes more puts it all into investments under both people's names so that everyone benefits. And, you know, that's like a different sort of mechanics than like you pay 70%, I pay 30. Like equity in a relationship for finances can exist in a number of ways. And the reason why they got to that is because one partner was feeling emasculated by, you know, having to pay such a small amount. And that's their own journey that they're going on. But as a way to circumvent that and to respond to that and for him to feel like he he matters and that his emotional context and wherever he's at, meeting him where he's at, that's the solution that they had. And I think it's great, especially when both names are being, you know, you know, supported. You talk a lot about this, like make sure like your names are on the things. Um, you know, I, I won't go into details there, but that that's I think, I think having those kinds of scripts and again, thinking about the setting you're in and your mindset that you're coming into it. Have you eaten? <laughs> like, are you well rested before you have this conversation? You know, what's the thing that's happening the next day or that you're just coming out of it was a really chaotic day. You know, like you just took your dog to the vet and it's been wild. Ooh, like maybe if this is your first time ta- doing a money talk, like, you know, let's reschedule it. You know, let, let's find a moment where we can feel spacious to talk about it. So, so those are all things to consider, you know, when, when you enter into these kinds of conversations and just like, no, we're human and it's going to be messy. And sometimes you're going to get things wrong. So the power of an apology and the power of forgiveness, you know, when we do mess up, when we do react and say, what the fuck is $600 lamp? Hell no, nah, you know, so sorry. That was not the right way for me to respond in that moment. Like, please tell me more. Like, I, I want to, you know, that I was just getting ahead of myself. Like, I was having a reaction. My emotions are valid, but I also want to understand where you're coming from, right? I love that. And I think it's really, it's so interesting when again you're talking about anything that is and i keep saying the word vulnerability today but like anything that feels vulnerable like i then that's kind of what i was trying to say before is it takes a certain amount of buy-in like you have to be present in order to be curious as opposed to a what the fuck are you doing spending that kind of money like that's a knee-jerk reaction as opposed to a tell me more about that like that's a different kind of reaction so that curiosity takes a lot of effort and ultimately of course it makes us feel better it makes our relationships better but we do have to like consciously choose it yeah exactly and and that's why i think it's so important to key in you know are you hungry like did you like have a like spacious day today right. you know like just to set your, yourself up for success you know but yeah i think yeah as and stay connected to this is about connection and remember that it's a pleasurable experience and know that like you can say no you know you might just get tired midway through or lose energy kind of like i did at the trump rally and you just be like curiosity overload this is too much for me and you you can express your boundaries in that way and that's so so important i talk i have a whole chapter in seek about boundaries because it's so important because just because you're curious doesn't mean that you deserve to have the answer right like i talk about in the book a story of a little girl with a prosthetic leg and there was a little boy on a play date and you know he was like really curious about prosthetics and you know wanted to touch it and wanted to ask a lot of questions to her and you know her and her mom were like no like this is a boundary like we're not going to let you do that that's going to infringe on her you know well-being and her sense of safety and autonomy and really sometimes curiosity can come from an ableist place, from a place of wanting to get information about someone that you actually don't deserve. You know, that's why there's legal protections over the kinds of questions you can ask in the hiring process, for instance, right? No, like I'm going to be the person that's in power of my own narrative and I will let you know when I feel comfortable to share something. It goes in both directions, right? But you asking and having a built relationship where there's trust and where there is that consent baked in, then it creates an opportunity for sharing and for depth. But you always got to have that grace and that compassion to be like, okay, you're not ready. Totally fine. That's something that we'll like work on later. But at a certain point, you can be really, really curious in a relationship. And, you know, I read about a mother daughter relationship and the daughter's like trying so hard and is like investing a lot into the relationship with her mom. But it's just like every time she leaves a conversation, she feels harmed and feels like disregarded and devalued. And after years of it and talking to her therapist, she's like, all right, no contact. I got to do that. I got to do that. I'm sorry. So, and that's hard, but you got to do it sometimes because, you know, you have to protect 
protect yourself, your loved ones, your family, your children, like whoever it is that are also being impacted by that toxic relationship, right? So boundaries are so important. I'm not like, we must at all costs, like be curious, you know, like that. No, like that's not real. Totally. Yep. Couldn't agree more with that. It is a balance of curiosity and boundaries, most definitely. Um, Ariel, our researcher, came up with this question. We loved it. What is the thing humans have learned through curiosity that you're most confused by? And she said, I am personally confused, and I am as well, how we learned how to eat half the foods we now eat. Like, how did we figure that out? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. What is one thing that you think humans learn through curiosity that you're super confused by? Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. I love that question. Um, and I'm so curious about the answer to that one. Um, for me, I think it's, I don't know. I just, maybe it's just like the time we're in and, you know, like there's just like so much geopolitical crises going on. And I just don't understand how so many people can be down with dehumanization. Like I just can't wrap, wrap my head around how we can be so okay with terror and just like you know innocent people like yeah, dying violence, it just like and, and war, just like un- yeah. and violence and just like and and like praising and be like yes this is for the defense of our country and our like or like yes we must do this because we have to it's just like it's like whoa it's like so you know i and, and there's a lot of disparate philosophies and i've you know really tried to sink my teeth into so many because you know i've learned through my own curiosity of seeing the groups of people that are expressing, especially oppressed people that are expressing the need and the desires for violence as a way to be seen and heard and as a way to, you know, work towards liberation. But just generally, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. And I just don't know where does that come from? And like, I'm, I'm really like struggling with that right now. I think just hopping on social media and I'm just like, wow, y'all, I can't believe some of the things that the people I love and know really well are saying about groups of people, some of them who have like, you know, never even traveled to the region of the world that they're talking about. And I'm just like, or don't know anyone who's Palestinian and Israeli. And I'm just like, you know, in this case, and it's going to be another conflict, I'm sure, you know, by the time this airs and, you know, it feels like there's a constant, you know, cycle of conflict that keeps happening in our country. And that's why I wrote this book. I'm like, I'm going to do my one little seed planting and try to make that a sunflower and hopefully like help point towards the direction of the sun and the light and just like where real growth and, you know, real protection of people and planet is, which is what I believe in. So yeah, but I struggle with that. I don't know. What about you? What are, what is the thing? How would you answer that question? You have a very uh, important capital I important, like prophetic answer. I'm over here. Like, how did we figure out that kissing felt good? Like, I'm going <laughs> to put like funny. my tongue in your mouth like, <laughs> yeah, totally, like how, yeah, yeah. how did we figure that out yeah 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it must have just been and like same thing with sex how did we determine what went where and what holes yeah like yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, how did that happen um yeah totally. i also have what ariel is like i i think about this all the time uh, this is like a deep cut into my brain but i think about probably at least once a week how did we look at a tree and decide that that was going to be called a tree or like, Mm. you know, whatever Mm. language you speak, like how did we decide what things are called? Mm. The other thing Mm. for me is I often wonder, again, this is like a once a week occurrence. I'm curious, does um, everybody see color the way I do? Mm. Like, like, I can look at a tree and say like, that's green and it's this particular green to me, but I've never seen that tree through anybody else's eyes like literally physical yeah. eyes so i don't know if you also see see the same green i do oh my god because this but- is the only reality i've ever known so or at least that i'm conscious of this is a lot of shit that goes on in my brain oh my god well there are also you're seeing this shit that goes on in my brain like i'm like it's like it's uh like that intensity of my question is like literally it's like like he must be fun at parties they must be fun at parties you know what i mean it's like because i'm like i'm the one that's like no yeah no, but, but I, also like, I, I think <laughs> I want to bring more. I, okay, I think I'm gonna, that way too. I also just like, I am also curious <laughs> about how we decided that, yeah, fingers can go in people's holes and that tongues can go in mouths <laughs> and that will feel sad. good. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. And like, where did I learn that? Oh my gosh. Like now I'm on this own, like meta, like in interior curiosity journey on like where I first learned that. Like I'm going to have to like do some reflection. Well, I imagine not to get too 
Not to get too explicit, but like, I think to your point of like, sex feels good from a biological standpoint, there must have, mm. you know, we all have like sexual urges, right? That's probably how that came about. But like, kissing is one of those that's like, not obviously necessary to sexual intercourse, right? Yeah, but yeah. somebody figured out at some point that that was interesting to do. <laughs> right. So I'm not right. sure. I'm not sure how we got here. And does everyone who kisses actually like it? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, or are they just feeling like they have to do this? This is something that they like. Sure. You know, and, you know I, that's what I also, I mean, I love kissing personally, but I know that some of my like dearest don't, aren't down with it and they do it and i'm like but is it oh do you do it because you know that's what your partner wants right. and like you're just showing up and they're like oh i don't know if they like it and it's like oh well okay <laughs> like, or do you do it because the media like the first i think sexual act we all see in yeah, the media yeah, yeah. is like somebody kissing somebody else yeah totally. this is this is down the rabbit hole totally. forever in my brain <laughs> i love but, it though yeah, yeah. I, I love Ariel's too. I think about that a lot of like, somebody had to realize at one point that that mushroom you couldn't eat. And it was because, yeah. you know, Dave, Dave died after he ate that mushroom. Yeah, well, totally. we can't eat that mushroom again. Totally. You know, like oh people my gosh, had yeah. to die in order for us to understand what food was edible and what food wasn't. Or like, oh, wow, like that mushroom takes you on a journey y'all like you know get ready like we're gonna meet a, you know we're gonna meet over here uh -huh, like you right, know go on that right. journey together like we're gonna go on an eight <laughs> right. hour experience and you're gonna <laughs> see the world in a way you have and this is pre-airplanes y'all so we're like we're traveling <laughs> dimensionally here um yeah right totally, right totally, right, yeah. right. <laughs> so good so good scott my last question for you what is one way that somebody can be more curious today even if it's just in a small mm. way Mm. You know, I, you know, so I teach and I, I talk to so many young people all the time and I witness this like disconnection to nature a lot with some folks. And I, I think getting out into nature is such a beautiful way to reignite curiosity. You know, um, one of my friends, Dr. Keltner, he calls it an awe walk, you know, walk for 10 minutes around the block and just be in awe of everything around you. Like the birds, the trees, that flower that's coming out of that sidewalk, you know, your neighbor who's like creating that their little dope front porch, you know, like flower set up, you know, just be in awe on that walk. Or, you know, you can even get out into nature. And I just went camping with my, my God, child and my, my two besties and my partner and we're just like getting so curious about the mist and like how that all works and you know we're just like looking at every acorn and the shapes of it and you know i think it's just like a fun beautiful way to ground into into curiosity that's that i think most people are down with like i mean you don't got to go on a full-on hike or full-on camp if that's not your thing you know but you know you can like hang out at the park and have like have some mushrooms you know like you know have you know some a cheese and wine and just like be in awe and in presence with you know the people around you and nature around you because i think a lot of people think about curiosity in the conversational sense with other people and they think that's the only way that they can strengthen the muscle but as i like read about in seek there's so many other ways like getting into your body like through movement i call it body journaling you know like it's like journal with your body which is what i did on tuesday to janelle monet you know what i mean or you can you can get out into nature that's a great way to tap into your curiosity too you can explore you know the world or your interests you know and that's a great way to activate curiosity that's going to serve you in your more interpersonal or reflective or you know relationship journeys too so yeah get out into nature and be curious about everything that you experience there notice notice all of it unfolding no mushrooms required <laughs> you know like you can just do that on a good old glass of water <laughs> i love that thank you so much for your time Thank you for your work. It's so interesting. And this is going to be one of those episodes that I go back and listen to when it comes out. Even though I just heard this whole thing, I'm like, I'm going to need it again in a, in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> tell us where we can find out more about you and tell us about your book. Absolutely. So um, you can learn more about my book, Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World at seekthebook.com. Go to your indie booksellers, y'all. Like call those bookstores, go into them. You know, that's a great place to buy them. Let's support small businesses. That's what I'm all about. These indie bookstores. 
that was my life growing up. I was like that kid on the little step stool, like reading books, like in the, in the aisles with like the fantasy books, like all like hovering over you, like let's support these businesses, you know, like they're, they're awesome. And then also you can find me online on the interwebs um, at Scott Shigeoka. I actually respond to DMs. I come through, tell me your thoughts on this episode. Uh, if you read the book, tell me about like what you liked, what you didn't. Like I will stay curious and. I was skate in that conversation. I want to hear from you. That's like why I became an author was so I can connect with people in real ways. Like that's what I love the most. And I was like, whoa, I can get paid for that. Cool. So please reach out. And yeah, thank you so much for holding this space and for your time and for the ways in which you're supporting so many people. I feel so, so humbled to be like a listener of this podcast and to then like be on the other side. It's actually like really surreal. And so, um, yeah, I'm just excited to, to share some thoughts and hopefully it was helpful for someone that was listening in. I so appreciate that. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much to Scott for joining us for this episode. You can grab their book, Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World at any place that sells books, but especially your local independent bookstore. Thank you so much for being here, Financial Feminists. We appreciate you sharing the show if it impacted you, especially this episode. Maybe this is a perfect opportunity to spark a conversation with somebody in your life about curiosity and about vulnerability and about bravery and about just becoming a better, more connected society. Thank you so much for being here as always, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, associate producer, Tamisha Grant, marketing and administration by Karina Patel, Sophia Cohen, Khalil Dumas, Elizabeth McCumber, Beth Bowen, Amanda LaFew, Masha Bakhmikieva, Kaylin Sprinkle, Samaya Molokarillo, and Harvey Carlson. Research by Arielle Johnson, audio engineering by Alyssa Medcalf, Promotional graphics by Mary Stratton, photography by Sarah Wolf, and theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, and episode show notes, visit financialfeministpodcast.com. 